0: turn this time over to you, Lord, that you might uh, touch us, that you might speak to us, Father, through your word today. Lord, thank you for the parables. Thank you, Father, for this time that we can uh, look to your word. And we pray your blessing upon everything that's said and done. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. My wife was reading in Reader's Digest recently, and she gave me this modern-day version of a good Samaritan. Uh, Pam Bales was a veteran hiker, and uh, she, the six-hour loop hike that she planned for that winter day was nothing out of the ordinary. Even so, she packed for every contingency. She had everything in her backpack just in case something happened. She left her parked car about 8 o'clock with the plans of where she was going to hike left in the car so that if she got lost, somebody would be out there to find her. But just about uh, 10.30, the weather started to take a turn for the worst, and she started thinking she might turn around. And all of a sudden, she noticed a set of single footprints ahead of her, and she could tell that they weren't boots, but they were sneakers. The winds were getting colder and stronger, but the only thing keeping her from turning around was that set of prints. Even though it would put her life at risk, she couldn't ignore them. When she came to the end of the prince, she found a man sitting between two large boulders. She noted that he wore only sneakers, shorts, a lightweight jacket, and fingerless gloves. When spoken to, he didn't respond, and she noticed that he was soaking wet from melting snow that had fallen on him. She quickly switched to rescue mode, even though he didn't say a word. She stripped him down to his underwear, and she explained to him what she was going to do, calling him John, since he didn't respond. From her backpack, she pulled out toe warmer packs, socks, a winter hat, soft-shelled pants, and a jacket. She activated more heat packs for his his armpits, his torso, and his neck, and next she poured hot cocoa from her thermos and said, John, we have to leave now. The storm was gaining strength. Fighting his herp- hypothermia and lethargy, she said to follow close behind. The two different times he dropped into the snow, saying, Just leave me. That wasn't an option to Bales. She helped him up and offered continuous encouragement. Keep going, John, you're doing great. She even sang a bunch of 60s oldies, but goodies. <laughs> they finally got to the bottom of the ridge. It had taken Pam four hours to get to John in the first place and another six hours to get back. And then, when they got back to the cars, he walked to his car and drove away. About a week later, the president of her rescue group got a letter with a donation. I hope this reaches the right group. This is hard to do, but I must try as part of my therapy. I want to remain anonymous. I went up my favorite trail to end my life. The weather was going to be bad. I thought no one else would be there. I was dressed to go quickly. Next thing I know, this lady was talking to me, changing my clothes, giving me food, making me warmer. She called me John, and she kept talking. I considered running off. Really heavy snow was falling, so I knew she wouldn't be able to catch me but I wanted only to take my life, no one else's, and I was sure she would have tried to find me. The entire time she treated me with compassion, authority, confidence, and the impression that I mattered. With all that had been going wrong in my life, I certainly didn't matter to me. Please accept this small offer of appreciation for her effort to save me way beyond the limits of safety. I'm getting help with my mental needs, plus assistance to find a job and temporary housing. I have a new direction, thanks to wonderful people like yourselves. I got your name from her, back, her pack batch, patch and bumper stipper, sticker. My deepest thanks, John. What a wonderful story of the Good Samaritan. And this was one of the parables that Jesus talked about. Um, This story reminds us that we ought to be looking for opportunities for us to do good to everybody that we meet. We are supposed to be Jesus' hands and feet, amen? Amen. That's what we've been called to do. And uh, Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan in chapter uh, 10 of Luke. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and open up your Bibles to chapter 10 of the book of Luke. Now, the context of the parable, the context in which uh, Jesus was telling this parable of the Good Samaritan was just after Jesus had sent 70 of his disciples out to do ministry. At the beginning of chapter 10, he sends 70 of them out and he says, "'The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. "'Beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest.'" So his idea was that there's a harvest coming and, and we need to send out laborers. We need to go out and do things for the Lord, and so the 70 went out, and then after they went out, they came back with stories telling Jesus about all the wonderful miracles that they had seen, all the things that had happened to them, and all the ways that God had used them to touch the lives of other people, and they were excited about it, and Jesus said, well, that's good, but be more excited about the fact that you're in the family of God. That's the most important thing, You know, uh, Jesus sent them out to minister to the countryside, and he is sending us out to minister into our countryside. Wherever you are, God is sending us out. The harvest is, is plentiful, but the laborers are few, and he wants to send those people out. And so that's the context in which he starts to tell the story of the Good Samaritan. I love 1 Peter 4, 9. It's not a verse that's up here on the, uh, the thing, but it says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the promises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And I love the way the King James says, You are a peculiar people. And as I look out on you, I think I'm, it's true. We are peculiar people. We're very special because God loves us, and God has chosen us for a ministry that is bigger than anything we could ever imagine. God loves us. God wants us to do something very special. And so as the, the, as the disciples have come back to celebrate what had happened, there's a lawyer in the group. No offense, you know. But the lawyers were in the group And he was trying to uh, trip Jesus up So let's start reading in verse 25 of chapter 10 And a lawyer stood up and put him to the test saying Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor is yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. <clears throat> he asked a good question. The lawyer asked a question that I think all of us want to know. All of us are concerned is what is the good that we ought to be doing in order to attain eternal life? But this man's motivation was all wrong. He was trying to test Jesus. The word that's used in the Greek there says he was rising up as if in a court of law, trying to test him or tempt him, to put Jesus on trial. That was his motivation. That was what he was trying to do. And instead of just answering the question, Jesus turns it back to him and he says, you know, what, what do you think it says? May, you know, in, in words that they would use that during that time, may I have your authorities in your exposition? The rabbis would speak to each other. The lawyers would say, okay, well, how do you read this? How do you read that? And, and what are your authorities? And, and how do you do that? So he, he p- turns it right back to the lawyer and says, well, what do you read? And, and uh, you know, Jesus knew the answer, right? We, we know that. Jesus knew the answer. In fact, in Mark 12 and Matthew 22, Jesus had already answered a similar question. What's the greatest commandment? And he'd already answered him using the same two scriptures that this lawyer decided to come back to Jesus with because he takes those two, his answer from those two scriptures. And he answered you, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. That's from uh, Deuteronomy 6.5. And then from Leviticus 19.18, he says, and love your neighbor as yourself. So the, the, the lawyer knew the right answer. Jesus knew the right answer too. And he looks back to the lawyer and says, you've answered straight. You've answered correctly. That's exactly what the Lord, what, what you need to do to, to do eternal life. That's exactly what you need to do. Uh, You know, G.K. Chesterton said, The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. We just decide not to do it. And then Soren Kierkegaard said this The Bible is very easy to understand, but we Christians are a bunch of scheming swindlers. We pretend to to be unable to understand it because we know very well that the minute we understand, we are obligated to act accordingly. Right? And just a few weeks ago, Doug was saying, uh, faith is believing that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do and then acting on that belief. That's what the purpose is. That's why we've been studying these parables, so that we can act upon them, that we can do the word, that we can become uh, active in our love for other people. And Jesus knew that the lawyer had not done that, that the lawyer was hoping, uh, he, he was hoping to allow the lawyer to humbly admit that he was wrong, that he couldn't do that. That, that, that this was an impossible thing to do on your own. Because it is. It's impossible for us to follow the law uh, and, and do it without some help. We need Jesus to enable us to be able to, to do those kinds of things. And now the lawyer has a clear choice. What's he going to do? Is he, is he going to go along and, and humbly admit his error? Or is he going to continue on in his religion? Let's see what he says in verse 28 and 29. And he said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? The lawyer knew the right answer, but in order to justify his not doing it, he, he puts the question back to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Because, you know, the, the Jews at that time, they, they knew who their neighbors were. There were some people that were considered neighbors. There are some people that were considered worthy of love and others who were not. The Gentiles were not because they didn't have God as their father. The Samaritans were not. There were the Romans. They were not worthy of love. And and so the lawyer had this uh, knowledge in his mind of who was worthy of love and who was a neighbor and who wasn't, and so he was trying to justify his ungodly way of looking at this situation, and he was trying to say, well, who is my neighbor? You know, I don't know who my neighbor is. He was trying to vindicate his corrupt understanding of loving others. The reality is, is that everyone is our neighbor. You know, Fred Rogers taught us that. Won't you be my neighbor? If you haven't seen that movie, I'm waiting to look and go see that, but it, I hear it's really good. But, but his whole purpose, you know, Fred uh, was a Presbyterian minister, and, and his whole idea was that everybody was our neighbor. Everybody deserves love, everybody is important, everybody has something of value in them. And so everybody is our neighbor. Dallas Willard said, in the morning, we cannot yet know who our neighbor will be that day. You never know who you're going to come in contact with. Somebody is going to be your neighbor as you walk through your life. And God, you know, Jesus knew that those were the kinds of things that that were happening. But um, the, the lawyer just wanted to justify himself and say, well, I'll love certain people, but I don't have to love those other people. And Jesus says, okay, let me tell you a story. Let me give you a parable. And he starts the parable of the Good Samaritan in verse 30. So the Good Samaritan parable comes as a response to this question. Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers. They stripped him and they beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance... A priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion, and came to him, and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and he put him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn and took care of him on the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said take care of him and whatever more you spend when i return i will repay you which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robbers hands and he said the one who showed mercy toward him and then jesus said to him go and do the same You know, this is the parable that Jesus chooses to answer the question, who is my neighbor? The Samaritan is, the the dictionary today defines Samaritan as a person who is generous in helping those in distress. To the Jews of Jesus' day, a Samaritan was an unclean Gentile whom they would have nothing to do with. The Samaritans were actually foreigners that were brought in in 722 BC when uh, uh, the the country of Israel was was taken out of Israel and sent to Assyria, and the Assyrian king sent people from uh, the Medes and the Persians down into Samaria to take over the area. So these were foreigners that had come in that had their own gods. They kind of mixed together the religion that was there and the religion that they brought from Assyria. And, and they were you know kind of uh, worshiping God but not really worshiping God because they had all of these other things. And to the Jews of that day, you know, these were very unclean individuals. They, they were people that you would have nothing to do with. And uh, the road from Jerusalem to Jericho was a dangerous place. Everybody knew that. Everybody knew that there were robbers waiting. And so you would always go in groups. This guy decided to go by himself. And, and he uh, fell into the robbers. They beat him. They stripped him of all his valuables. They took all of his clothing because that's a valuable commodity in that day. Uh, cloth was something that was not easy to, to make. And so they took everything, they beat him and left him for dead on the side of the road. Um, And then, by chance, a priest and a Levite were traveling on that same road. And see, the priest and the Levite, according to their religion, when they saw this man, things started to go through their head. They, they, They started to ask, well, should I help them? Have you ever been there? You know, when you see something, you come up to some situation and you think... Well, should I do this? We've all been there, right? We all come to that spot, and and their religious training says, well, you know, may, maybe they're going up to Jerusalem to to work in the temple. They can't touch a dead body because that would make them unclean. They they couldn't go in and and worship the Lord if they had touched this dead dead body. So that that was part of what they were thinking is that. They didn't want to make themselves unclean and unable to go into the thing, into the temple. Uh, They they decided, they went through all of this thinking in their mind, and then they decided, well, I'll just leave him there. How many times do we find ourselves in that same situation when, when there's an opportunity for us to do good and that we just talk ourselves out of it? And I can see both the priest and the Levite going through that mental gyration and rationalization and finally rationalizing their way out of it and saying, well, I really can't do it now because I'm too busy. I've got to get to wherever it is I'm going, whether it's Jericho or Jerusalem. And, and uh, so I can't really take the time that it would take to do that. And, and gee, this guy, he may cost me something not just time, but I may have to pay for some things. I mean, he needs some clothes. I'm going to have to give him some clothes. He needs some bandage. I got to take him to the doctor. You know, so they went through all of this thinking, all of this kind of, of, of rationalization that not only they go through, but we go through that too, don't we? We, we try and rationalize why we shouldn't need to help. And then who comes along? The Samaritan. Now, it doesn't say uh, you know, who he is. It doesn't say who the man was either. It doesn't say whether he was a Jew or a Gentile. Uh, that's not made clear in the scripture. But the Samaritan comes and he is moved by compassion. He acts he doesn't take time to think through whether he should or he shouldn't. He just does it. He just moves. He goes over to him. He he is well prepared. He, he's obviously got some money. He's got a, a med kit with him. You know, so he takes oil and and stuff and pours it on the wounds, binds them up, and he he takes care of them. He puts them on his beast. So he's got some financial ability to do stuff like that. He's not just walking along. So he, he, he takes care of him. He takes him to an inn. He pays the innkeeper to give him a room and to take care of him, to feed him, to meet all of his needs while he's there. So this man has decided, uh, I'm going to do something. I'm going to act on this compassion. I'm not just going to leave this man there. And then he tells the innkeeper if he has any more expenses, when I come back, I'll pay you for him. He guarantees the fact that this man is going to be taken care of and that he will pay all of his bills. You know. He promises to do everything. It wasn't just a one-time encounter. It was something that he was willing to come back and do over and over and over again. This is the kind of compassion. And so Jesus turns to the lawyer and says, Okay, those three guys, which one was neighbor to that man? That's a no-brainer. I mean, we all can see that. The Samaritan, and that's, that's what the, the lawyer says back. You know, It's the one who showed mercy toward him. And Jesus just says, go and do the same. Go and do likewise. That's, that's the key. We need to just do what God has called us to do. That's what faith is, acting upon the word. Not trying to rationalize in our mind why we shouldn't do it, but let's just do what God has brought into our path. Let's do what he has called us to do. I want you to turn to a couple of scriptures. Proverbs uh, chapter 3, verse 27. <clears throat> Proverbs three twenty-seven, Very simply says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Exactly what the Samaritan did. When it is in your power to do it, if you have the finances, if you have the ability, if you have the time, and even if you don't think you have the time, we need to do it. That's what God is telling us. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. We need to do the things. We need to look for opportunities to do good for those that we find in need. And then Hebrews chapter 13. Back in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 13. Starting in verse 15. Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips to give thanks to his name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing. For with such sacrifices is God pleased. You know we've just spent a week. Uh, giving thanks for the blessings that God has given to us. And that's what that first part of the verse says. Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, the fruit of lips that gives thanks to his name. We've just come out of thanksgiving season. We've come out of a season where we're giving thanks. And God wants to remind us that as we have given thanks, then we need to not neglect doing good and sharing for with such sacrifices God is pleased that Samaritan made a sacrifice financially of his time all of those things he was willing to make a sacrifice are we willing to make sacrifices for the opportunities that God places in our lives every day and then uh, on kind of more a negative note just turn over a couple of pages to James chapter 4 and verse 17. And this is a warning. And it, um, 4.17, not 5.17, okay. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does it not, to him it is sin. My wife tells me about this all the time. She reminds me. We know the right thing to do and we do it not. How many of us can say, yeah, I, I've fallen, I've fallen. I've sinned because I didn't do what I knew was the right thing to do. And, and, and that's, that's part of our condition. <laughs> We're sinful. We make mistakes. But just because we sin doesn't mean we shouldn't continue to keep trying. We need to continue to keep trying. And in Ephesians 2.10 That great passage in Ephesians talks about being saved. But at verse 10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Man, there's so much there. We have been uh, created in Christ Jesus for good works. He created us. For these opportunities, just like that good Samaritan. And and he prepares them beforehand. He prepares things beforehand so that we can walk in them. Every day we can walk in those good works. God is preparing us. God is there for us, working in our lives to make good things happen. We just need to follow him. We need to walk in that. And then Proverbs Uh, verse 3 or chapter 3 and verse 6 and I'm reading this from the message version so if you're reading along in your Bible it's going to be a little bit different but I, I like the way the message says this listen for God's voice in everything you do everywhere you go he's the one who will keep you on track listen for God's voice everywhere you go everything you do He's the one that will keep you on track. And so as, as, I, as I looked at this passage, as I looked at the Good Samaritan, uh, one of the things that I thought of, okay, how do we put this into application? How do we put it into uh, where the rubber meets the road and start using it? And so as I was preaching, I, I read a Daily Bread article on November 5th, <clears throat> and it, it was, here, here it is. When was the last time you felt compelled to help someone only to let the moment pass without a response? In the 10-second rule, Claire de suggests that the daily impressions can be one of the ways God calls us to a deeper spiritual walk, a life of obedience prompted by love for Him. The 10-second rule encourages you to do simply to do the next thing you're reasonably certain Jesus wants you to do, and do it right away before you change your mind. Jesus says in John 14 and 15, I think that's the next passage up there. Is the next one? Go and do likewise. There it is. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to John. <clears throat> And it says, in, uh, starting in 15 through 21, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live. You will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. If you love me, keep my commands, We might think I do love him, but how can I be certain of his will and follow it? In his wisdom, Jesus had provided what we need to do, need to better understand and follow the wisdom found in the Bible. He once said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and will be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. It's by the work of the Spirit who is with us and in us that we can learn to obey Jesus and keep his commands, responding to the promptings experienced throughout our day. In the big and little things, the Spirit motivates us to confidently do by faith what will honor God and reveal our love for him and others. So, this, this article uh, made me go out and buy the book, and I read through the book this last month. And uh, I I thought I would end by sharing some of the the five principles that Claire de Graaf gave. But I'd like to show you a clip uh, about the 10-second rule.
1: Many of us like to think of ourselves as followers of Jesus. But when we sense God has actually given us opportunities to live it out, we're often hesitant, uncertain, and tempted to look the other way. It's like we have these dueling voices in our head and heart. One voice telling us to help, and the other voice giving us every excuse in the book not to help. You don't have time for this. Don't be fine. Someone else will stop and help. See, intuitively, we all know that obeying Jesus is going to cost us something. Time, money, embarrassment, something. But by doing nothing, we can save ourselves all of that and life moves on, comfortable and predictable, at least for us. Is it any wonder that our spiritual life feels so beige, more religious than alive? We wrestle with God over small daily requests, and yet most of us still dream of doing great things for him someday. But the truth is, godly character is shaped less by our big dramatic decisions than it is by the cumulative impact of thousands of small acts of simple obedience, largely in obscurity. So how do we get better at saying yes to these promptings the Holy Spirit is giving us? Years ago, I began living by the 10-second rule. Just do the next thing you're reasonably certain Jesus wants you to do, and do it immediately before you change your mind. In my book, The Ten Second Rule, I share all kinds of stories about people who are courageously living by the rule and the amazing impact that it's had on their faith journey and on the lives of those they've helped. There's an old Chinese proverb that says, a journey of a thousand miles begins with a first step, and so will yours. Just do the next thing you're reasonably certain Jesus wants you to do.
0: Okay. That was it. (laughs) There's a little bit more there, but anyway The 10 second rule, it's right up there Just do the next thing you're reasonably certain Jesus wants you to do And commit to it immediately In the next 10 seconds Before you change your mind Pretty simple, isn't it? I mean, it's a simple idea And I think that's one of the things That God has done for us He gives us simple things to do and all we need to do is be obedient. We need to do them. How many times have we missed that opportunity because we've been talked out of that? How many times did you see on the video the missed opportunity? Just put a can here, help somebody. There there are a lot of little things. And when you're reasonably certain, there's five principles that that this, this talks about as he goes through his book. Uh, The first principle is this. When you're reasonably certain Jesus is asking you to do something, do it immediately. Procrastination is not your friend. We need to act upon those impulses. Don't talk yourself out of it. Just do it. God is telling you to do it. Satan is not telling you to do something nice and kind and loving for somebody. Satan is not going to trick you into doing something that's going to cost you so much. God wants you to be obedient. He wants you to obey him, and he wants you to obey right away. Don't procrastinate. I'm one of the biggest procrastinators. As I was reading through this, it really pricked my heart because I'm one of those people that always has an excuse why we shouldn't. My wife, on the other hand, is somebody who says we should. And God put us together so that we could be a balancing out thing for one another. That's that's what God is calling us to do. We need to be active. We need to do it. And the second principle is this. The rule gives you a place to begin again following Jesus right now and whenever you find yourself drifting spiritually. As we live by this rule, even if you fail, it gives you a spot to start again. Because God is always the God of second chances. He always gives you another opportunity. He's always going to give you another impression. He's always going to point you to something else that you could do. And so we need to continue. It gives you a place to begin. There's always a place to begin. We can always start doing something for God. We need to just step out and be obedient and do what God is calling us. The third thing... The more you know about the teachings and character of Jesus Christ, the more confident you become following him. Doug's always telling us that we need to get into this, right? We always need to get into the Bible. We need to make it a part of our lives so that as those impressions come, they're being moved on by the word of God that we've placed in our hearts, by the word of God that tells us this is the right thing to do. When we heard this story of the Good Samaritan, we need to be a Good Samaritan to someone else. God is going to bring someone, some opportunity into your life to fulfill that job of being a Good Samaritan, of loving somebody as your neighbor. God is going to allow you to have that opportunity. And you can choose to either do it or not do it. But continue to try. And But the more that you read the word, the more confidence you'll have that you're doing the right thing. The fourth, thing, fourth principle, the rule doesn't require that you be absolutely certain an impression is from God before you obey. The need for certainty is often the enemy of obedience. You know, you don't have to be certain that that's a word from God. Just do it. If you see someone in me, just do it. Uh, You're going to be blessed if you follow those leadings. God has given us the Holy Spirit. That's what it said in John 14, that the Holy Spirit is within us to lead us and guide us. His voice is there for us to hear. We just need to do it. Uh, Don't don't think you have to be absolutely certain before you start doing this 10-second rule. And then the fifth one Christian character is shaped less by your big dramatic decisions than by the cumulative impact of thousands of small acts of simple obedience. See, it's not the big things that we do for Christ, it's those little day by day things, how we love our children how we love our wives, how we love our husbands, how we love the people that come, we come in contact, how we love the server at Denny's, how we love the person at the gas station, how we love the person at the grocery store. Those opportunities all throughout our days are opportunities for us to love and be obedient and to do what God has called us to do. And uh, that's what the 10-second rule is saying. Just step out in faith and begin doing what you reasonably expect is what Jesus wants you to do. And don't don't worry about failing. It's just another opportunity to start again. You can just continue to start. Hebrews 10.24 says this, And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. You know, when we're coming together as a, as a body of believers, we are here to stimulate one another to, for good deeds. That's part of the, the calling of God. Not only are we to do good, we are to stimulate one another. Hey, what did you do? What, what's new in your life? And, and talk about the things that God brings into your life, and that will stimulate us. When you hear a good story about what somebody has done, when you hear about a person like Pam Bales, that makes us think, maybe I could do something like that. Maybe I could be that kind of a person. Stimulate one another to good deeds. And then turning in Hebrews to chapter 12, um, the first two verses of chapter 12 are some of my favorites. Lay aside everything that hinders us, every sin that entangles us, and run the race that God has set before us. Focusing on Jesus, keeping our eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on the prize. And that's part of what the 10-second rule can do. It can keep you focused on Jesus, on doing those little things for Him that He brings into your life each and every day. Let me close with a story and a song. Uh, Claire de Graff shared this in his book. A few years ago, I did a seminar at a local church. While I was setting up, a woman approached me, introduced herself and said, I just want to thank you for saving my life. I thought I hadn't heard her correctly. I couldn't remember ever seeing her before. So I immediately stopped what I was doing and I asked her to explain. You wouldn't remember me, but I remember you. Last year, my life was such a mess, I was seriously contemplating suicide, so I asked God for a sign, anything, any sign that I should change my mind. I went to a Denny's restaurant that morning. As I was walking in, you opened the door for me and said, I hope you have a good day. That was it, my sign. I realized it immediately, and it saved my life. Thank you. She hugged me and walked off. He says, I don't tell this story to impress you with how faithful I am. I'm certain that I've failed to say something kind or cheerful to thousands of people over the years. I tell the story to illustrate the truth that you and I have absolutely no idea how powerful simple acts of kindness and encouragement can be in the lives of the people who may be hanging on by a thread. Do what God is calling us to do. Act on that 10-second rule. Look for those small opportunities all during your day and then rejoice over them after they've come. celebrate them because that's what they are they're they're opportunities to be obedient to Christ and to do his word, to act upon it I'd like to close with a song like I normally do but this this one is by Josh Wilson and it's talking about dreaming small dreaming small does not mean just small things just listen to this (laughs)
2: It's a mama singing songs about the Lord It's a daddy spending family time The world says he cannot afford These simple moments change the world It's a pastor at a tiny little church Forty years of loving on the broken and the hurt These simple moments change the world Just Use you where you are One day at a time Live well Loving God and others as yourself Find little ways where only you can help With his great love A tiny rock can make a giant fall Dream small It's visiting the widow down the street special needs make a giant fall. Yeah, if I into fish, you feed them all. So dream small. Dream small. Mm-hmm. Let's pray.
0: Lord Jesus, we want to thank you uh, that you are with us every step of the way, Lord. And that you talk to us, you speak to us, Father, through those impressions that we have all during our day, Father. Help us to be obedient to your word, Father. Help us to act upon those things, Lord. To do those things, Lord, that will change the world. Father, thank you that uh, you are with us, you walk with us every step of the way. And finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you.